Hello and welcome to Beyond Busy, the show where we talk productivity, work-life balance and defining happiness and success. My name is Graham Alcott, I'm your host for the show and in this episode I'm talking to Charlie Davies. So before we get into the show, just a really quick reminder, there are some tickets available for my Masterclass event in London. It is on Thursday the 27th of February and we're going to be at the Business Design Centre in Islington. It's a full day with me looking at all the core content from my book, How to Be a Productivity Ninja. And so if you want to start the new year uh, with more clarity and more control and really getting a good system in place, a good second brain to remember all the stuff that you need to be working on and just some really good productivity habits, then uh, we're only just into the new year. It's February uh, 27th of Feb. Uh, the Business Design Centre in Islington. You can get tickets at Eventbrite. So if you just go into the Eventbrite app and just put in Graham Alcott Productivity Masterclass, you'll find the event in there. Uh, a few more tickets left. So we'd love to see you for a full day, really revamping your productivity systems and bringing you up to Productivity Ninja Black Belt Standard. So if you're up for that, uh, go to Eventbrite and find out more. And we'll put the link to that as well in the show notes, which is at getbeyondbusy.com. So let's get into this episode. Charlie does some really interesting work around helping people to get clarity around what they're working on, to really test and scrutinize uh, your ideas and really help you to uh, get that level of focus and drive in what you're doing. Uh, I just think his work's really fascinating Love the way he thinks, and uh, we're doing this one down the line. So let's get straight into it. Here's my conversation with Charlie Davies. I am here with Charlie. How are you doing? Hello, Graham. Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Uh, how's your day been? It's been okay. Um, started quite early with a um, a call to an interesting person I might start working with in Vietnam. Um, cool. Which which feels like a, someone who just found me online. Uh, oh, wow. randomly and um and it feels like a sort of delightful opportunity out of nowhere which is lovely that's cool and then uh and then i did just lock myself out of my studio <laughs> and have to run around in in circles trying to remember where spare keys were and you know you, you get that sudden like oh hang on so right so the key's inside and then that's the key to my house which is where the spare key is which is <laughs> you realize you haven't scenario planned properly for these these things i think this is one of the the sort of pretenses of the working world is so you're on the phone call or the email to someone in vietnam and it's like yes i'm very clever and i do all this stuff and it's great and then three hours later you're locking yourself out of your uh, office and uh isn't it funny how how as humans we sort of have all these different uh sort of versions of ourselves but no one ever really um reveals the the kind of calamity moments like locking your keys in the I office. Mean, apart from just now. Apart from you, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, you have a really interesting uh, area of work, which, so you're talking about that uh, uh, potential client in Vietnam. Is that someone who is interested in your very clear ideas stuff? Yes. Um, there's a, a sort of growing number of people actually who want to learn um what i do and teach it to other people um or bring it into their work with with organizations so it's um i guess in the past i had a lot of people who would 
want to be clear about something and so they'd come and they'd say i'm starting a new project can you help me get clear on what it is or i don't know what my life's path is or um i'm switching careers or something like that um and more and more now it, it seems to be people who want it as a kind of you know uh coaching consulting tool cool so you're teaching people your process around having very clear ideas yeah um so how to be clear about what you're doing like what it is and then how to do it and check that you're taking the right steps and then what to do if you get stuck cool um i've done your course so yeah you have that's that's um maybe the first thing to say is that i found it really fascinating um and i suppose the the starting question just as we sort of delve into this as a as a sort of theme and a topic is why do you think people are not clear i i don't think we were ever taught that it was useful to, to be clear or taught how to do it um i find that a lot of people i work with have been conventionally successful um and they've gone to school uh gone to university or, or whatever um started their business made lots of money got to the top of their game won a bunch of awards or something and then realized that they've never stopped to check if that's actually what they wanted um and i, I think it starts with you know switching from uh maths to english at school because the bell rings and then switching from english to sports because another bell rings or something and that doesn't really teach you how to listen inside for what you need. You know, it doesn't teach you to start from there. And um, I think it's about what we think work is. You know, that if, if you start from the idea that work is something that you just have to do, um, or it's a, a job, um, then it's not necessarily obvious that that should be anything to do with who who you are or what you want. Yeah. You can feel like it's everything about what's expected or what pleases a customer or, or, or something like that. Um, and I think the root of my work is really starting from the idea that work is what you do to, to get what you need. You know, it's what you do to, to give what you need and, and be who you need to be. So it starts from from needs and, and knowing what they are. So as you're starting to get interested in this kind of work, yeah. how how did you, because it feels to me like there's there's a whole bunch of people who are entrepreneurs or have a level of autonomy over what they do. And then at the other, at the other extreme, there's a whole bunch of people who, they show up to work and it is just about them showing up to get money or it is something that they have to do and they don't particularly love it. And there's probably a whole murky bunch of people in the middle who are a little bit of both. Um, so did you have a, a sort of strong desire to help the people who already had that sense of uh, sort of purpose or autonomy or, you know, do you see this as a kind of wider thing where, you want to, to really kind of help everybody else to see that work can be so much more than just showing up for the paycheck? I mean, to be honest, it just started from not knowing how to go to an office every day. <laughs> <laughs> like I did, 
Um, but I think, I think work kind of got broken for me because I went to, um, one of my first jobs was the, as the features editor at the face magazine. And, um, and my job there was basically to kind of find an, an interview and, and write about, um, people who are amazingly creative, you know, and who were, um, you know, artists or video makers or, or people in fashion or, or you know, or, or all kinds. Yeah. And, um, and you just see like, oh, okay, they're doing their thing, you know, that, um, and they're working in this way where they're, they're getting a lot done or they're doing very powerful things, not by doing what they're told, but by doing what they can feel is right and standing for something. And, um, and it's very hard to go from that to like showing up in the morning and just being told you should do this and this. Um, and so I think I just needed to find a way to go to work every day where that part of me was taken into account. Yeah. That feels like a really transformative experience. Um, so were there particular people that you met or particular people that you were researching and writing about that really had a huge impact in that, in that way? Yeah. Yeah. There were. Um, I think specifically there, there was two, two experiences. One was, um, it's, it's quite a long time ago now. I think it's about 15 years ago, but, um, I went to Moscow and spent a week with Ivan Shapovalov, who was the uh, Svengali manager of Tattoo, the pretend lesbian schoolgirl band. <laughs> pretend <laughs> lesbian schoolgirl. Yeah, that's a good sure. That was a long time ago, like I said. Um, I don't know if you remember, but... Uh, that was uh, all the things she said running through my head. That's that one. the one, yeah, yeah. And basically, yeah. it was this guy who... Um, his background was uh, working as a child psychologist, a spin doctor, uh, an ad man, um, and he'd studied math psychology. And he just decided he would apply all of that to pop music. Wow. And kind of had this system and was like, oh, I think I can make a band famous all around the world just by doing these things and like thinking of what people are afraid of and how can I make them fall in love with it. And um, and so I had just this sort of immersion in a totally insane way of working. Yeah. Where he'd like hired the top floor of a hotel in Moscow um, and had set up a reality show there where he was recording their next album. And it ended up being that the reality show was about um, – he he basically wouldn't get the, the the two girls the the pop band he wouldn't tell them they had to show up so like if they didn't want to show up for the the reality show he was like well that's just reality and um <laughs> you know the reality is they aren't they aren't here and, <laughs> and so but he refused to do any of his meetings with the tv company anywhere than anywhere other than in the studio being filmed wow and so, so he sort of turned himself into the truman show essentially yeah or, or turned the people the 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 executives from the tv company yeah into the truman show yeah um and so i think when you've worked with someone who works that way you're like i don't know how to go back to like you know lunch breaks and 
yeah meetings wow. and things and who was the other one you said there was two so the other one was one of the last things that happened at the face was i got an email from um someone who went to a school called the chaos pilots in denmark and which is a kind of activist entrepreneurial business school thing and they'd gone to sarajevo to steal a concert hall from the mafia um, to give it back to the youth of the city <laughs> and they said um would, would you like to come and write a story about it for the magazine and i said i'd, I'd love to but the magazine just got got shut down um and they wrote back and said that's okay um we'll buy your plane ticket just come out and <laughs> and I, I didn't have anything better to do so i just been made redundant <laughs> so i said all right and um and went and basically met these uh five women who were sharing a flat that they'd found in sarajevo and trying to put on this huge festival uh to try and do something positive for, for sarajevo in uh you know it's quite a difficult time yeah and um and just being immersed in how they work together like in their flat they had this huge long roll of paper along one one wall with a big arrow on it and at the far end of the arrow was like you know the event or whatever and they're having meetings every morning and every evening to talk about what they've done all day and they had sort of stacks of books about advertising and and it just felt like a very um uh well-rounded um like mode of operating or something mm. that they was checking in on how they're all feeling that they're like eating dinner together they're um being very strategic about the kind of marketing and things but also very personal about what kind of work they wanted to do and um and so it was like finding a, a another just another culture you know another way of working yeah where you're like oh okay so work can be about what you want and if you find a way of showing up where you're free then you can do amazing things um so can we just talk a little bit about the process itself so you've got this um, blog post which we'll put a link to in the show notes that says uh uh how to have very clear ideas and introduction yeah um and i love that post and it's very um like it's beautifully written it kind of reads like a poem which maybe we'll get on to poetry later as well but um can you just kind of talk us through what that blog post is about and just within that the the process that you uh run people through uh and I've been through the grinder a few times with this on a couple of projects with you as well but um can you just describe what that that process looks like yeah so the the basic idea is that when you start a piece of work it's to to meet a need you know so you start a business because you want to earn lots of money or to prove yourself or to meet a social need or to experiment with something or whatever it is. Um, and quite often we just start without checking that we know what we need, without checking that we're actually sure what we want to happen. And, um, and then what that means is that we end up having to change course, you know, six months later or two years later or something like that. And and actually, it started off with the face and, and um, being a, an editor for you know people writing stories, editing stories, working out what made a good story. Mm. 
And I realized that there was a kind of set of common qualities to what made a good story, that it would be something where people had their heart in it. You know, they weren't just going through their emotions. It was something that was really alive in them. And it would be something that wanted to grow. It was kind of happening naturally. Um, it would be something that made sense. Um, maybe like idealistic, but also practical. And and I landed on this um, formula, really, this sort of set of ways of looking at a new project that mean that you can see whether it's ticking those boxes or not. And and it's it's kind of that you can you can start off looking at something just really emotionally, but then you know a few weeks later you look at it really practically, and you realise oh it doesn't it doesn't actually work, um, or you can devote yourself to something that's really practical, and then realise oh it's not actually what I want. Yeah. Um, and so for the clear ideas process, um, what I do is I basically sit someone down, ask them what they want to get clear on. And then ask them to imagine that they're that they're already there, you know, that it's actually happening, and they can kind of inhabit the idea, experience what it might be like if it's perfect. And then just ask them these really simple questions um, of like, when you're there, what do you need? What do you want? What do you demand? What do you love? What do you wish for? What do you dream of? What do you live for? And they're all basically the same question, but they nudge us towards um these different angles so kind of looking at the idea in a practical way or a bit more emotional or a bit more idealistic or something and and it's like taking a walk around the thing Mm. so rather than just getting one angle on it you you get a kind of a feeling for the whole and i mean that's the the hook kind of thing that's the beginning yeah is it's an easy way to explore an idea that you have but really it's about like clarity being a, a practice clarity being just an inherent part of how you go about doing anything so um the clear ideas process gives you a way to explore it but then also to test it yeah um so you can like you you write a definition of this is the work i'm going to be doing but then you test it to see whether it is actually what you want whether it is actually what you need to do and then and then you take that as your starting point, your kind of reference point, this this clear idea. And there's all kinds of things that you can do with that. And I found it really interesting doing your course, that that testing part of it where you've written down a sentence saying, I'm going to be doing this for this reason, and it's you know going to uh, help me with this, and it's going to help other people with this or whatever. And you, you write that down as a kind of long-form sentence. But then running through those questions of, is this what you want? Is this what you need? And you go through them. And you getting people to to kind of witness whether i was able to say yes to each of those questions i just found a really interesting process because it's like you can't you just can't really lie can you like it's you know if someone's asking you is this what you really want is this what you really need and asking you these questions you can say yes but if you don't believe it in your heart of hearts it's really obvious to everybody else on the call and you can kind of kind of almost visibly see the I don't think you're, you know, people kind of would say on the call, I don't think you're sure, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that was a really uh, powerful uh, part of the process for me, I think. I know. It's amazing, isn't it? It's mm. just one of those things that I kind of just fell upon um, yeah. by, by doing this sort of over and over again. 
but is exactly that. It's that you, you can't lie, um, you know, or you can. But, and it's the horrifying thing is like when you're going through that bit of the process, you realize like, oh, everyone can actually tell if you're lying. Yeah. <laughs> Always. Like often they're too polite to say it, but they can actually tell. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and what I think is happening in that moment is that like when you have, you've written your, your sentence, you know, I am starting a business that is doing this and this for such and such. And either that line that you've written holds everything, holds all the information, um, in which case you can relax or it doesn't hold all the information in which case you're holding onto a bit of it still. Mm. It's like, it hasn't been captured by the line. So there's a bit of you that's like, yeah, yeah, the idea sounds great, but uh, I also need some time off, and it doesn't say that. And, yeah. and I think you actually hold on to that as sort of physical tension. And so when someone says to you, um, you know, is this what you is this what you need? You know, does this line sum up everything that you're, you you need to be doing? If you try to say yes, it does, but there is that little bit of tension in you that's still trying to hold on to the other bit. You you can hear it. You can hear the tension in someone's voice. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before about needs, and we do the work that we do to fill a need. Yeah. Do you think it's helpful to focus in on just one need? And I suppose the reason I'm asking that question is because if you imagine someone who's about to quit a day job and start a business, and they they also care about work life balance, and this really comes to kind of the heart of Beyond Busy. Really, you know, I, I kind of feel like there's so many tensions between productivity and work life balance, and how people define success in that way. But when you're in that sort of situation, and you write down a sentence that might say something like, "I want to run this business. I want to make X amount of money, and also I'm going to have every weekend off, and I'm going to probably work three days a week and." still play tennis on a Thursday and you know like there's an inherent tension within that even though that's the dream and that's what you want the dream to look like you kind of know that that's harder to achieve than working quite a bit harder and and sort of losing a few weekends to get there do you know what I mean I'm just kind of wondering if you think it's important to focus in on what's the primary need or objective or whether you can kind of balance those things or have a have a have a tension inherent within those things so I, I think um, I think the most useful thing to say is that it's not this process of getting clear. It's not about inventing anything. So it's not like trying to craft. Oh, I, what I want my purpose for my business to be is such and such, or I think it should yeah. be this and this. It's just trying to uncover what you're committed to. Yeah, you know, uncover what's actually already in there that you've committed to. And so, if you've committed to having all the weekends off and, and working three days a week and earning millions of pounds then being truthful about that is what helps and okay. um and if you try to pretend that that isn't what you're you've committed to because you think it's a better idea to to say oh well you know i'm going to be working all the time because that's what i should do and things like that then it's the tension between what's true you know what you've actually committed to and what you think you should be doing that actually makes the work hard but if you want to be committed to something that is perhaps less realistic how does that work uh, i i'm not sure i really have much of an opinion about the content 
of what people are getting clear on. So like, um, I'd, I'd never say, oh, well, it sounds like, you know, you're committing to lots of things and actually you need to be reali- realistic that you need to sacrifice some things. Um, because I, I honestly think like people, people work in all kinds of ways. You know, people do all kinds of different things and some people get very successful and play tennis at the weekends, you know, without giving up tennis. And I, like one of the things I say is that when the idea is very clear, the work becomes effortless. Mm. And I totally believe that to be true. Like I see it again and again, that I, I think that the sort of secret weapon underneath, you know, like the, the, the tool, the process of having very clear ideas and all the other bits and pieces, you know, they're, they're great, but like, actually it's about getting to that, that sort of secret weapon underneath, which is just being true, you know, being that like, if you if you want to um, work very hard three days a week and do nothing on the others and somehow make that work, then then being true to that is actually what brings the success. I think. But if you ended up with a sort of as as you're kind of writing this out, you get this uh, uh, sense that there is a tension between being able to do both yeah do you encourage people to focus in on one of those needs do do you see what i mean like because it's not your judgment to make but if someone else is sat there thinking i'm not quite 100 percent sure that this is going to be viable or um that i can balance all of these different things it's like what happens then it's um in a way i think it's never happened like (laughs) um because you're you've already asked is this what you need you know is this what you want and so if people have answered truthfully then the question of like oh but how do i balance all of this stuff will have come up already okay because what you're saying is you know how do i do all of these things when i don't want to be overwhelmed or how do i want how do i do all these things when i don't want it to take 15 years before i get successful or something yeah yeah and so yeah, I, I think, I mean, I yeah, it's funny. I don't quite recognize it or something. But then I think what can be helpful when there are, when it feels like there are lots of things, is, um, is to look at why you're doing anything in the first place. So it might feel like you have a whole list of 25 things that you definitely need, you know, like... Um, I need to go to work at two o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday and I need time out for tennis, but I also need to make a million pounds and all the rest of it. It's almost like you've got a recipe for something. And, and if you just ask, okay, why do you want all of those things? Then you, you find out what the recipe is meant to add up to. Like, this is what I want my, my work life to look like, or this is what I want my life as a whole to look like, you know, this and this and this and this and this. That's nice. And, and it's like, if you go up a level to there, then you can then look at that list of things you have again. Yeah. And it, and that will tell you already. So it's like, I don't have to tell you, I don't have to have an opinion on it. It's not, I'm not a coach in that way saying like, well, I think you should be more realistic about these goals or something. But it's that if you're looking like, you know, I want to start a business that does this, but I also need this and I also need that. Da, 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 da. And then you say, well, why, you know, what are you trying to achieve by all of that? 
and uh, and it might be that you know the the the, the why the the idea there is to be kind of relaxed uh, in how I do um, work that is creative and fulfilling and leaves space for my life. And then if you start from there, you can then use that as a way to edit all the pieces. And so you go like, okay, what do you need out of these to do that? And you might realize, well, I don't need to play tennis. Yeah. You know, yeah. or I can play tennis once a month. It's fine. It's not actually that important. I was just attached to it. Um, or equally, you might find something that's missing. And be like, oh God, I mean, in order to do a life that's creative and blah, 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 I also need to, I need to go to more art, art galleries. And I forgot to put that on. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like within this work, there's a huge emphasis on the stories that people tell themselves. Yeah. And I'm interested if you have any, I guess, you know, thoughts or learnings about the most common stories or the things that you find are holding people back in the the highest frequency, if that makes sense. Well, I think a really interesting one, right, is that um, in the questions, so the, the third question that I ask, I always ask them in the same order, is, um, is what do you demand? And I, you know, it can feel like a particularly English thing, but it seems to be... <laughs> <laughs> seems to be at least european wide um that people feel uncomfortable about demanding things and i think that's really common yeah and i think that might come from the whole you're meant to you know go to this class because the bell rings and then go to that class because the bell rings and you you know you do what's demanded of you mm. rather than walking around demanding things that's not polite is it um and uh but then the really interesting thing is if you say to someone, um, you know, is this what you demand? You know, then they'll say no. And they might have said two minutes before, I don't even know what this means, this question. What does it mean to demand things? I'm not sure I even demand anything. <laughs> if you go, well, okay, you know, if you imagine you're here and you're doing this work, what do you demand? They always have an answer. Yeah. Because we do. But we don't like, maybe don't think about it that way we don't like to think of ourselves as demanding and um and i think that just comes down to this thing that um we all have our preferred ways of looking at things our preferred ways of approaching stuff like emotionally or intellectually or, or whatever it might be yeah and um and looking through that lens of being demanding is just a bit less common and then if we do that, it allows us to, to see what's actually in there. And I can't tell you how many times it's, it's the most precious question that it, it uncovers the thing that, you know, the other questions don't exactly because it's the one that people normally feel uncomfortable about asking. So you find the neglected stuff there. Yeah. It does feel jarring, doesn't it? It feels like, it feels like, Oh, I'm really, you know, uh, like it's it's this jarring question because it feels like I'm I'm terribly sorry to be demanding stuff. You have this very um, strange attitude to to all of that. Yeah, but then what occurred to me recently is you you know someone's just said that this thing is what they need, right? Um, you know, this is the thing that's needed, and this is the thing that they want, right? If it's what you need and you want, why wouldn't you demand it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's 
yeah, that's the next step, you know. That's what my dad always used to say to me, if you don't ask, you don't get. Yeah. Um, the thing that has uh, always really interested me about your work as well is um, this thing that you do called identity yoga. Do you want to explain identity yoga? Because it feels like that that follows on from a lot of that uh, conversation about narratives. It kind of feels like this, um, yeah, just a huge amount of uh, what I often talk about in, in workshops and keynotes in, in terms of human weirdness, you know, like we're, we're all, we're all weird as humans and we all have all these uh, assumptions and biases and identity yoga feels to me like a really good way to, uh, to figure some of that stuff out. So do you want to just explain it a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. So um, for me, this builds on things I learned with um, my friend, Peter Koenig, who does work on people's relationship with money. Mm. Um, and he looks at that through the lens of identity of, um, basically what, whatever story you have about money, uh, isn't a story about money. It's a story about yourself. Um, because everyone has a different story about money. You know, someone will think money is security. Someone else will think it's power. Someone else will think it's evil or whatever it is. And, um, every, everyone can't all be right. And so the story shows you more about the person telling it than, than the thing they're talking about. And, um, and what I learned from him was like a deliberate way of firstly noticing what stories you're telling about yourself, about who you are and, um, and then how to play around with them. So like, um, in his work, it would be about, um, if I don't like to think that I'm evil or don't like to think that I'm powerful or whatever it might be, then I'll project that identity out onto money and like kind of make it do the dirty work. Like, Oh, I'm not demanding money's demanding or whatever it might be. I'm not corrupt. Money's corrupt. And, um, and so, um, if you notice that you're, you're kind of holding a a bit of yourself at, at arm's length, yeah then re-identifying with it deliberately uh can be helpful can relieve a lot of tension because you're you're not lying you know and is money is money always are you always projecting onto money the flip side of how you see yourself is it always a kind of opposite thing or is it sometimes a uh you know the other side of that magnet kind of you know, you, like your, your view of money is the same as your view of you. Um, it, I think it, it's either, it can either be um, something that you don't want to be and are trying to push away, or it can be something that you want to be but don't believe that you are. So like money is powerful, could go either way. You know, money is yeah. special or yeah, whatever it might be. Um, but anyway, so this opened the door for me to like looking at, not just what am I doing, but who am I being as I, as I do it? Or um, how do the stories I have about me affect the choices I make? And, um, and in practice, what it means is like ideas when they're just floating around, like we're talking about, you know, starting a new business is an idea or um, playing tennis every Thursday is an idea or whatever. Um, Those ideas become, commitments when you say i am right w- without it lying you know 
without any resistance. You say, I am playing tennis this Thursday. You know, it becomes like a commitment. I am starting a business. It becomes a commitment. And, um, and the point of identity yoga is that it's very easy to make and break those commitments. So you can actually play around with what stories you tell about yourself. And so what happens quite often is someone will have uh, an idea. They'll, they'll sort of go through the clear ideas process and they'll say like, I've got this beautiful new idea for a business. I'm going to um, open uh, coffee shops where you can pet reptiles. And, um, but, but a good idea. Um, and uh, That's a pretty good idea. Okay, it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I saw there's a, there's a cat cafe in Bristol now. Well, that's what I was thinking, because there's cat cafes. I think there's also dog cafes in different places. So, yeah, so I think maybe not, not done the, the next day. Right, so pet reptile <laughs> petting cafe. Um, oh. And uh, and so you get this really lovely idea, and then I'll ask, like, is there anything that stands in the way? And something will come up, right? Like, oh, um, uh, I, I feel embarrassed, you know? So like, you know, cause no one's done a pet reptile cafe before and it sounds a bit silly. So even though it's what I need and I want and I demand and all the rest of it, it feels like a bit of an embarrassing idea. And so normally that might just mean, you know, what do you do? You just, oh, so I won't do it cause I don't want to be embarrassed. Um, or you kind of try and do it, but you keep on sort of going a little bit astray or not going to the meetings that you should or not you know sort of singing its praises to people because there's this bit of you that's worried about being embarrassed and um and the identity yoga is realizing that there's a tension between two commitments you know there's the commitment to starting a reptile cafe i know this is a super weird example uh the commitment to starting a reptile cafe but there's also this commitment to, to never being embarrassed by things yeah yeah um but it's actually just uh a matter of playing around with those commitments so you can just try you can add into your idea like oh i'm gonna um start a reptile cafe and be really embarrassed about it and somehow just committing to that so it's not happening kind of accidentally or against your will but embracing it it, yeah. be- it becomes fine and you're like oh yeah well i mean I guess at least I'm awake, you know, I know what's happening when I'm embarrassed. Like, I guess it means at least I'm doing something new, you know, which is might be why you're starting a reptile cafe in the first place. Um, and, uh, and so you can either take the thing that feels like it's difficult and just incorporate it in your idea. Um, or you can, you can do the opposite and realize, okay, I'm, and I'm not being embarrassed. You know, you, you just yeah. commit to this other idea that I'm starting a reptile cafe and not being embarrassed. And you go like, oh, yeah, actually, of course I'm not. It's a reputable business. They already have cat ones. They already have dog ones. You know, makes sense to have a reptile one. Yeah. And so um, it's this weird thing where, like, it almost sounds too basic to talk about it, but that, you know, you can say I am doing this or you can say I am not doing this. And noticing which one you're doing and noticing that you can choose which one to, to do um, has a huge impact on how you, how you show up and how you work and everything like that. Yeah. But it, it, I, I, just to say, like, it feels a bit random to kind of be, just because we're, we're saying things out loud, but um, 
I work a lot with cards, like blank playing cards. So I have a blank playing card. That, uh, I have a card that says I am on it and one that says not on it. And then other cards, you write the bits of the idea on and you can basically move them around. Mm. So you say, I'm doing this and this by not doing this, or I'm doing this and this and doing that. And, um, and then something that can feel quite heady or theoretical or something uh, just becomes like a fun, stupid card game on the table in front of you. <laughs> I remember doing an identity yoga exercise. I can't even remember what the the content of it was, what what the thing was that I was struggling with. But the way you the way you worked with me on that was you said it was something like you know, I can't even, I just can't remember the thing, but it's something like I'm doing a book. Oh yeah. And I want it to be successful or whatever. And then you kind of said to me, so that means your assumption is the book will lead you to success. So why don't you flip that around and say I'm successful already? Yeah. And how does that feel? And so every, every part of that sentence, you just and we did this with the cards as well. Flip it round and just write down the opposite thing on the other side of the card, and and all of that. And I think that for me was such a was such a powerful exercise because I think, like you say, we we do we do tend to uh, just take those assumptions and and take them to the stage where we say, oh well, because I'm going to be embarrassed, I'm not going to do this reptile cafe or whatever. But just being able to say, oh, um, just think, you know, things like it, uh, like. I need more money so that I feel secure. Yeah. And then flipping that around and saying, I am secure now. Yeah. You know, like some of those, some of those opposites are things that we just, I guess because of our biases, just don't think about. Right. Yeah. Um, I, I, one of the things that I've learned is that you can try on ideas. Mm. Right. That, like you're saying, you know, it, it, you can say, I, I need to earn lots of money so I can be secure. And, and because you've sort of said, well, I need to do the money thing first and then the security thing can come, come after. It's like, you've told yourself it would be impossible for me to say I'm secure now. Yeah. And actually it's possible. And you can try on any, any idea at any moment and you just see if it helps, you know? So it's like, um, what you're really saying is, okay, for this project, if you're walking around with the story in your head, I'm not secure. Is that story helping you do what you need to do? And, you know, the answer might well be no, actually. It's stopping me from getting out of the house. It's stopping me from going to meetings, da, 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 da. Yeah. And so you just go, all right, well, what if you try on the other story? I, I am secure. Does that help? And you might feel like, oh, yeah, that really helps, you know, because in lots of ways I am secure. I've got this and I've got that and all the rest of it. And so it's this weird shift of uh, instead of feeling like the job of these stories is to kind of contain you or, or be a way of sort of having this sort of true representation of the, what the world is, you just have to live inside. Uh, instead, it's like what stories are helpful. And so you can choose which stories to tell based on which ones are most helpful. I had a thing a few years ago, which was a story I was telling myself where, and I, and I literally wrote this down, I think as a New Year's resolution or something, but my thing was I need to grow the business or earn a certain level of money so that 
I could rock up and do the work that I loved, but wearing my brown corduroy trousers. <laughs> and I had this kind of weird, so I was telling myself a story that was, no one's going to respect your opinion until you're at a certain level of success. And at that point, you can be a total maverick and, you know, not have to wear a suit and just be yourself and uh, not have to sort of fit into everybody else's boxes of what to wear or what to say or what to do. Yeah. Um, and uh, I probably needed identity yoga a few years ago when I was having this uh, thought and writing it down. But what ended up happening is just one day, I just decided to wear brown corduroy trousers to the gig. And so I just went and did a speaking kick and I wore the trousers. And sure enough, no, no one, one noticed. Yeah. <laughs> like, right? So in my head, it was like this huge transformative moment. And to everybody else, well, it's just the same as the speaking gig that Graham did last week yeah. wearing a suit, really. I, um, so it's funny, those things, isn't it? Where I think sometimes, the, and I was just so unconscious that that was a bias or a narrative. I, you know, I literally thought about it as fact. Yeah. But I think there's so many things that we have like that, that um, actually when you really pick away at them and challenge them, it's, um, uh, it's pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah. And, and I think the, the risk is that um, you can associate a whole bunch of stuff with uh, Brown Corduroy wearing Graham and then tell yourself that you can't be those things. Yeah. And, you know, so like you can't be a maverick until you've got your Corduroys on. Yeah. But then you've said that your route to getting to the point where you can wear your corduroys is by being wildly successful, right? And what if to be wildly successful, you need to be a maverick? Yes. Then, exactly. then, you're, then you're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> and the and, circle will never be fully formed. Yeah. yeah. And also, it's, it's insane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because I look back and I know it's insane now, but what's interesting about it is because that felt surreal, it makes me wonder whether everything else I think is actually insane. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I know. I like, I think one of the other big things that, you know, you're asking about what are the sort of cultural things or sort of why, you know, yeah. wider stories. And, you know, all of us are, are brought up and kind of saturated in a culture that says, um, you know, if you want to be confident, you need to buy these trainers. Mm. You know, if you want to be relaxed, you need to go on this holiday. You know, if you want uh, to be stylish, you need this hat or whatever it is. That it's like, uh, you know, it's a specific advertising technique, right? It's a way of telling stories that takes a um, something that is limitless and always available to you, which is some aspect of your character, and then deliberately associates it identifies it with an object that you don't have and then says you have to buy this object in order to get that thing right but the thing was always there you know the trick is telling you that you don't have it and telling you that you need the object in order to get it yeah which, which is that's identity yoga right it's just that it's either it's a you know a a kind of playing with stories, a, a practice of playing with stories about who you are that's been limited to the rooms of advertising agencies. Because you know, they're perfectly happy to, to say, yeah, I know you don't really, uh, your confidence isn't actually genuinely in the trainer. You know, there's not a sort of physical, psychic link between, you know, the, the plastic in the running shoe that will change what your mind is. It's a story. Yeah. 
And, um, and so maybe, maybe like identity yoga is really about just democratizing the kind of, uh, tricks that you might use in, in advertising, um, of realizing that you can tell whatever story you like about anything. There's something really interesting there about how essentially advertising is trying to solve, trying to bridge a gap between sort of capitalism and consumer capitalism, right? So if you don't own any shoes, then you need a pair of shoes and you don't really need to worry about whether you feel confident in those shoes or cool in those shoes. You just need to know that your feet are dry yeah, because currently you have no shoes, right? <laughs> Whereas when you have two pairs of shoes, three pairs of shoes already, the only way to sell somebody, somebody more shoes is through a sort of consumer capitalism model where you, like you say, you're kind of identifying yeah, uh, you know, some kind of need and convincing someone that they have a, a gap that needs filling. Yeah. And I don't know, it just feels like there's something interesting around that if you strip that back and say, if we ended up, if we miraculously, magically ended up back in a, a sort of simpler uh, lifestyle where everybody just had one pair of shoes and everybody had just the food that they grew rather than the food that they chose and so on and so forth. You just kind of follow that through. Do you think everybody would be massively happier by that? And I guess what is that? Yeah. What is your answer to that? Say just about uh, our own weirdnesses and narratives and stuff like that. <laughs> is that really huge? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. We'll, we'll, we can go, yeah. We'll you go you can attempt it. Yeah. I think, you know, the way, um, like so you know behind my work you know I, I talk about it as being something that's useful and i talk about ideas and, and being clear and, and all the things because that's how we talk about it normally you know um and it feels like a directly i need this for my work can you help me with my idea kind of thing but um but behind it is is what i've learned through through like buddhist practice and through uh, you know all the other practices and things, but um, it's you know like this clarity really is it's at the heart of um, you know these ancient wisdom traditions. Yeah, and so what we're talking about really, you know, your question of like, will we be happier if we manage to only have one pair of shoes? Um, I think it, it it's really, I would say the question as um, if you know that your state of mind, you know, your, your happiness or, or your, your fear or whatever it is, if you know that that's within your control um, and not actually dependent on the presence or absence of, you know, objects or, or people or whatever, then, um, then we, would you be happier? And I, I think in that case, the answer is yes, you know, but it's not that we have to get to the point where we only have one pair of shoes <laughs> yeah. uh, to get there because that's falling into the same trap yeah the, the point is just this totally mundane sane thing which is saying like of course having a pair of shoes in the room isn't the dictator of whether you're happy not or not that's not how your inner weather system works right it, it's inside you it's all inside you it's not actually about the, the physical presence of other things. You know, that's not a reliable way of being happy or unhappy. Yeah. Um, and so, 
so you know so there's a sort of very practical end of, of my work which is about you know um finding ways to say things simply or, or finding a way through tricky bits of the work and then um underneath that there is there's this you know genuine passion for um just uncovering these things that are true and, and helpful uh and often hard to get to if you're trying to read through um kind of slightly esoteric literature or things in a kind of you know religious jargon or a business jargon or whatever it is um when when it comes down to what like what i've understood through through those practices is that like if you want to be happy then being loving is what makes that happen that like in if you if you are loving or if you think of any moment where you were loving you were happy and and you can choose to be loving or or you can forget to be loving and when you choose to be loving then you're happy and when you forget then you're not and and i think that's the only thing i think that's the only thing that actually influences our happiness in the end hmm that's cool i honestly think um I think most, if not all, or certainly almost all guests on this podcast um, have really shirked from offering a definition of happiness. And you just kind of offered me one without me even really asking you. <laughs> it's just, just like, wow, okay. And also one that really makes sense to me and um, and really resonates as well. So um, that's really cool. Um, the only way to, obviously the only way to um, follow that is to ask you about productivity. Great. Yeah, let's do that. Uh, So just in the last few minutes, I kind of feel like your approach to things uh, must mean you have some interesting takes on, on how you manage your time and attention, how you think about productivity, how you define stuff. Um, So do you have a kind of, uh, a kind of summary of your own approach to how you do those things, how, how you make sure that you're productive? It's really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Like, um, I, and I I think I was brought up with all the usual ways of like turn up in the morning and sit at your desk. Um, but it, it it doesn't always work. And, um, and I, I've definitely tried working hard, but it's not enough. Like, Mm. um, and and I I know that if I'm not clear on what I'm doing, it's pointless. It's yeah. a total waste of time. Yeah. It doesn't help. And and I know that when I'm clear, it it just happens pretty much by itself. Yeah. And so it's almost like uh, I've found one bit of it right, which is um, if I can get to the bit where I'm clear, then you don't need to ask me about productivity because it just happens. Mm, yeah. Um, and if you ask me about the steps for getting clear, I can tell you those as well, you know, ask the questions, work out what you want to get clear on, blah, 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 all the things. Um, but the thing that I'm struggling with, that I'm trying to work out is kind of something about like creating the conditions for clarity. And, and like, I know I can, I could just say, oh, well, you know, I don't need to create conditions. I am clear and just shortcut to that. 
um, and do the the identity. You know, I don't need any shoe special shoes to be or corduroy trousers to be productive. Um, I can just start. And in a way, that's true. And probably in the end, I'll find out that is true. That's just it. I just need to like go. Oh, I'm clear, and then start working. Um, but the moment. Yeah, I'm still just trying to work out how that works. And what are you thinking about in terms of the conditions for clarity? What does that What does that look like? Well, <laughs> um, a few. Do you know Emma Wallace? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Anyway, um, I thought we, we might have mutual people in, in Brighton. Anyway, um, went to stay with friends of mine in um, in France. Ended up went for Christmas. Ended up staying for nine months. And um, <laughs> <laughs> long, long story. <laughs> and. Um, and because we're out in the countryside, there's not very much to do. Quite often in the morning, I'd wake up and have the chance to just lie there and know like, oh, I don't need to do anything. And so it could take a really long time to kind of start moving. And, um, and in these spaces that were really quiet and, and empty, um, poems started showing up. Like, I, I notice, like, oh, I can actually listen for what's going on inside me well enough that I can uh, notice a feeling and then I can notice what words would capture it and then I can successfully write them down in order so that the feeling is fully captured uh, in, in a poem. And so it's like I found a, a trick, for, which is basically how I write all my poetry now, is yeah. not, not by going to France and... and lying in bed all day but um <laughs> but by uh noticing uh, getting quiet and still enough to be able to notice a feeling and and listen to it all the way through and find find the words and um and so i think i don't think i'd have found my way there without that kind of quietness and emptiness and space that i had there and what i've managed to do with the poetry at least is to kind of bring it back so that even if i've got a busy day uh, and there's a whole hundred things going on. Uh, I can like I literally wrote, wrote a poem at the bus stop on my phone uh, last week. Oh wow! Okay, because it's like if you know if you've got that habit, you know how to switch into that kind of clear mode. Then you can just do it. You don't need any external conditions. So I was thinking about the conditions being physical, like you need to turn off Wi-Fi, or you need to be in a certain place, or whatever so what are the what are the i guess this kind of psychological conditions that that you're talking about because like that that's kind of what you're saying right is that if i understand that right is that you can be anywhere you can be at a busy bus stop in the middle of a city yeah and it feel like you have you know real peace and space yeah i i i don't i don't know i haven't really thought about it but i think um uh, I think it's something, I think it starts with committing. Like, uh, the reason I'll write a poem at a bus stop is because one, the, the sort of, the hint of one shows up. I'm like, oh, there's something there that's worth listening to. Yeah. And if I commit to it, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to, um, I'm going to do this. Then it's that wholehearted commitment that makes it possible and it almost creates a kind of a, a poetry studio wherever i am like 
yeah. not nothing else is you know it's like having a clear idea of like i am writing a poem by standing at a bus stop and not getting distracted and not minding that i'm getting rained on um and and in that moment my attention is sort of single focused on it mm. and um and I think it's, I don't think it's a trick. I don't think it's a, like a productivity tool or something that makes a difference. I think it's just that it's something I really, really, really need. Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that when I find the little something that's to be written about, it's like, they're so valuable. You know, the things that, that come out when you're in that kind of quiet clarity and and I know because of the because I've written lots of them, so I know if it's if it's on its way, that it's kind of more important than anything else. And so, and so it's it's a it's not prioritization in a kind of writing things on a list and writing one two three on them. It's prioritization as in just um, when something's more important, you 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 do it. Yeah, when it's sort of clearly the thing that you need. Um, and we're just we're just about at the hour point, so um, I just wanted to come back to that the bit slightly before that, where you were talking about productivity being hard yeah. and and it being you know messy sometimes. And I'm just really interested in that whole thing of I know how to get clear around ideas because I totally I, I'm totally um, with you on I think once you have clarity. And whether that's clarity on the big idea or clarity on the next physical step you've got to take, mm. um, and ideally both. But when you have that clarity, it does become your work becomes easier, right? Like you get that sense of momentum and um, excitement because you feel like you're on the right path. Yeah. But when you have, so you have all the tools available to help you to do that, and then there are things where you are struggling with them. Yeah. Have you thought about what? other tools you need or have you thought about um what else is going on there because you know theory like people would look at that in theory or on paper and say you have everything you need yeah um i think the thing i don't have is um enough of a community around clarity okay like um back in the the buddhist world of things they talk about um Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, you come across this, where um, it's like uh, Buddha is is the, this person who represents love, and then Dharma is the teachings yeah. uh, about it, and then the Sangha is a group of people who are kind of learning or studying those, or teaching those those teachings. And, uh, and the idea is you need all three, right? And, uh, and so it's, just, it's a bit like that where like, I can know what clarity, what it means to be clear, and, and I can have all the principles of it. Um, but sometimes it helps to have people to remind you. Mm. And, um, and it's not, it's not how I learned to go to work, you know, to, to sort of prioritize clarity and wait until the moment where you're clear and then act from that. Um, and so, you know, my sort of natural work community, I guess, when I sort of arrived in, in the world of work was about, um, you know, productivity in the sense of like you sit down, you do as much as you can, uh, and you go through a list until it's done. Yeah. And, um, 
And I think through the work that I've done and the people who I've worked with, I have more and more of a community of people who will, you know, ask me the questions and who'll check that I'm clear before I do something. Um, but I think just more of that and, and more of that locally as well, actually, just it would be nice in, in Bristol um, to just, yeah, be working more with people where you, you have those reminders and you have that uh, encouragement for the days where you don't have it in you to go <laughs> go through a process yourself or hold yourself through something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, fascinating. I kind of feel like we're at, at the, we're at an hour and five, so I should probably um, wrap it up, but that feels like a really nice ending actually. Cause I feel like there's probably a lot of people listening to this who are solo you know, solo flyers or, you know, in small teams and feeling isolated. And, um, you know, personally, I work very consistently on my own. Mm. Um, but actually, yeah, like you've got me thinking there about um, how I sort of balance that sort of need for my own uh, sort of autonomous time versus actually maybe needing a bit more of that community myself as well. So um, thank you. I think that's a really... Um, really nice note to end on um before we finish it'd be really good to just let um everybody know how they can get hold of you how they can get your stuff how they can read more um just uh tell us what you have on the internet and in the real world that can help people yeah so um i have a website howtobeclear.com and uh you can see uh, details about my work there. I do a lot of work um, with teams in organizations, getting them clear. Actually, one thing we haven't really talked about is how teams work and how they can be clear. Um, yeah. And uh, um, and so that's there. I go in and work with people as a kind of consultant or I work with people one-to-one, like I said at the beginning, um, kind of training people in this process, how they can use it with themselves and with other people. And then uh, I also have charlesdavis.com uh, where Basically, the only thing on there at the moment is um, my new book, which is called Poems for Meditation. Um, and on Amazon, I have, uh, I thought I was on the way to work, but I was on the way home, which is um, a new version of the Tao Te Ching that I wrote a few years ago. And on Medium, there's a publication called How to Be Clear. And there I've got everything that i've ever written about clarity yeah and i really encourage people to go and check out um well all of that stuff but um in particular i think some of the stuff on medium is um is really great and really um generous in the way that you share that stuff and um and you know really uh think it feels like you feel think very deeply as you're writing stuff about what the reader needs uh and sort of guiding readers through that process so uh, so thank you for writing all of that and for sharing it with uh, with us all. And um, yeah, I really encourage people to go and check that stuff out. We'll put all the links to that in the show notes as well. Um, what's your evening looking like? What are you up to later? Oh, I have, um, I'm in a vocal improvisation group. And, um, ah, cool. Yeah, I haven't talked about that either. But uh, the people <laughs> from the group are coming around for dinner and we're working out uh, how to how to do that what we're doing with it next next year nice um i'm also off to uh sing with the choir with no name which is the homelessness charity that i sing with as well so we're both nice. uh 
spending your evenings with some kind of uh, attachment to singing and song, which is great. Yeah. Uh, Charlie, thanks so much for being on Beyond Busy. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks again to Charlie for being on the show. Thanks also to Mark Stedman, my producer on the show, and Podient, our hosting platform. Thanks also to Think Productive, who are our sponsors for the show. And if you're interested in productivity workshops, training, all that kind of good stuff, go to thinkproductive.com. We can help you get your inboxes to zero, fix your meetings, help you to become a productivity ninja, and lots, lots more. So we're all around the world, thinkproductive.com, and we'll point you in the right place. Uh, That's it for another episode. I'll be back in two weeks' time. I'm really starting to rack up a few in the bank here in terms of episodes so um that's always really a good point to uh start to sort of take a step back and think about who else i really should be getting on beyond busy so here's my little invitation to you we're near christmas and we're going to be uh, making some plans for 2020 i'd love to hear who you think should be on beyond busy so if you've got names if you've got just general kind of ideas of people you uh you think i can get Uh, Maybe it's people you know, maybe it's people that you don't know, but you think would just be uh, the kind of dream guest for Beyond Busy. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts. So you can just email me. It's graham at thinkproductive.co.uk. Would love to get your thoughts on that. I've had um, in the past some really good suggestions from people and some of them uh, have sort of come with intros, which is uh, really great for me because it makes my job easy. But even if you don't know the person... Uh, if there's someone that you really think I should just get on the show, uh, then I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, the other thing I'd love is if you've got a quick minute, if you could just leave a review, if you could just make sure you're subscribed, um, do all that stuff that really helps uh, to kind of keep this podcast going and spread the word. And if you can't do any of that, just tell someone that you know uh, that you enjoy Beyond Busy and get them subscribed. That would really help too. So um, let's... Uh, Let's do our bit to keep these conversations going. And I'm certainly really loving uh, just the kind of conversations I'm able to have through Beyond Busy and the the people I'm able to meet and get access to and all that kind of thing is really great. So love to continue that and really extend that over the next year. So any thoughts, bits of help that you can give me with that, that'd be great. So graham at thinkproductive.co.uk if you want to drop me a line. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode. So until then, take care. Bye for now. Thank you.